So, 1 Corinthians 14 is where we are. And um, we have been in Corinthians since Easter. Uh, We have been uh, going through a a series we call Back to Life. And it's just in line with what Beth was saying in, uh, in our communion time. That our God is a God that looks at the Valley of Dry Bones and says, I'm going to bring you back to life. And that's especially seen in the resurrection of Jesus. And so what, what it, this whole letter to the Corinthians is about is really inviting them to live into this way uh, of God, of bringing things to life uh, through Jesus and aligning them with, his, uh, with what uh, happens when you, you get into that way of life. Um, at the same time, it's super messy. And uh, we've, we've seen the mess of the Corinthian church. Um, and at the same time, they're experiencing uh, the spirit in all these ways, too. So it's interesting to say um, you can be experiencing God. You can be experiencing the Holy Spirit, and the work of the spirit, and also just be completely messed up. Right. So being messed up does not disqualify us from getting, getting to experience God. And that's good news, too. Um, this particular section, chapter 14, uh, really ties in well to, uh, it starts off kind of in chapter 12, which Sherelle preached on a few weeks ago, and where it starts talking about, you are all a body, all of you together, you are part of God's body, and, and you all have an important part in that body. In fact, if one of you is hurting, then all of you is hurting. But all of you also um, have a role to play. Um, in fact, the, the spirit of Jesus has, has poured out gifts on you uh, to, to use you to equip each other, to strengthen each other, and to be part of God's mission to the world that he's, that he's on. Um, and so at the end of, of chapter 12, um, there's a bit of, uh, there's a chiasm, uh, or is it chiasm? I don't know. Chi or chi? Chiasm. Okay. Um, so you can see the end of the, of the chapter says, uh, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. And the most excellent way um, is chapter 13, where he's talking about love. And that's where Ted led us last week to say, you can have all the coolest gifts in the world. You can be talking in in these different languages. You can have these words of knowledge. You can have prophecy. And you know what? It doesn't matter at all. In fact, you could be misusing those things for your own gain if you don't have love as the basis for what you're doing. And so he's, he's giving them this framework to say the way that you are together as community, the way that you even use the gifts that you've been given has to start in the love of God. And so it wraps in to the end of the, that chapter. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And in the start of our chapter, which you just read, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And then we get this picture of this first century church and we don't have really that many pictures of what worship is like in a first century church this is one of the very few and unfortunately we get a picture of him correcting things that are going on in that first century church Um, but he's talking about their use of these gifts of the spirit and I want to talk about that this morning um, out of the hour and a half of material I have I I want to kind of land on that Um, because the gifts of the spirit the gifts that come from the spirit are a topic um, that if you are, have been in church, um, that I'm sure has come up at different times. And what gifts are there? What gifts are available? What gifts do I have? Do I take this inventory? Um, and, and how do I know if I have this gift or can I ask for this gift? So I want to talk about that. 
this morning. Um, in particular, there has been a distinction uh, throughout the history of the church between um, gifts that some folks would say are miraculous gifts of the Spirit, and then some that they would say are non-miraculous gifts of the Spirit. Now, that's not a distinction that you would read in Scripture. That's just something that people have, uh, we have come up with um, to help us kind of uh, describe our experience of these things. For example, in the chapter that Cheryl had, chapter 12, here's some of the gifts that are mentioned. Um, The spirit of the message of wisdom and the message of knowledge from the spirit. The spirit gives the gift of healing. Another, uh, another gift is miraculous powers, another prophecy, another distinguishing between spirits, another speaking in tongues. Pretty much every gift mentioned in chapter 12, every manifestation of the spirit is the way NIV translates it there, would fall into uh, what people have deemed the miraculous category. Um, here's just a few. Uh, for those of you that are familiar with the, these kind of distinctions, uh, these are a few that, that uh, I, I kind of put into the different categories. Um, the non-miraculous sorts of gifts, um, and I put miraculous in quotes there, um, teaching, encouraging, hospitality, serving, giving generously, showing mercy. Um, is, are there any others that you can think of uh, that, you, uh, that you know of or you've, you've heard you know, are either miraculous or non-miraculous, if you, you've been familiar with that distinction? Miracles. Miracles, yeah. Miracles came up in chapter 12. Very good. That would... Be a miraculous gift. Now, there's no comprehensive list in Scripture. Every time you read about gifts in Scripture, they're different. It's like Paul is kind of who we get most of the gifts uh, mentioned from him. He's kind of just saying ad hoc, you know, kind of what. Um, is off the top of his mind about a particular context or situation. What are the gifts that God is pouring out? And the way I like to think about it is, who is the gift giver? God is the one that has the, the gifts. And the gifts are, are not just, it's not just like picture of Christmas gifts. I, I like to picture God as having this huge tool belt. And God has got some work to do. He is at work building up his church to look like Jesus so that they are equipped both to, to love each other well and to love the world well, to, to be on mission for the world. And so God's got this huge toolkit, and he's like, okay, we've got this job over here. All right, John, I'm going to give you this and this. Okay, Sarah, you get this and this. And, and he just hands out the tools that are needed to get the job done. Now, that's a little bit different than the idea of, like, um, what's the gift that I get that I get to possess that I, I feel special about? But that's the way I see it is that it's, it's more utilitarian. Like it's more about God's got some stuff to do and he's going to pour out the gifts that are needed to accomplish what he wants to accomplish when he wants to accomplish it. Um, this distinction, I don't think it's really helpful. Um, and the reason why... Uh, this distinction has come up is because uh, there is a Dallas uh, Theological Seminary professor um, that taught at DTS and then he moved uh, into a more charismatic stream uh, named Jack Deere and wrote a book about it and he said, you know, the real reason, he's like, for, for most of my life I, I um, was a cessationist, which is the, the idea that um, the gifts, uh, certain gifts, the miraculous gifts had ceased in the church after the, the writing of scripture. And um, he said the real reason that, that people believe that 
is a lack of experience, not because of theological or scriptural reasons. Now, people will, uh, people will end up developing and finding scriptures that kind of support that after the fact, but a lot of it has to do with experience. Um, one example of this is St. Augustine or Augustine in the third century. Um, you've heard of Augustine. And, and he starts out uh, writing in his career. And he says, yeah, um, the, for the last few hundred years after the apostles had died out, we don't really see these things happening anymore. Well, by the end of his writing career, he's like, I, I take that back. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of interesting stuff lately, and uh, I was wrong about that. So even in his own career, uh, he kind of took back the, his idea that all these things had ceased happening. Um, throughout history, if you look back, you're going to find both sides of, uh, of this issue, whether or not there are these aspects of the spirit still functioning or whether or not they have uh, ceased to function. And, um, and, and all the way up through history, you'll see that. Uh, one other example, uh, many of us are familiar with the Restoration Movement. And so uh, that this is where the stream through which Churches of Christ and Christian Churches and Disciples of Christ came from. And um, two kind of founding leaders of that movement, um, one of them a very rationalistic sort of thinker, very much in the stream of the Enlightenment period, um, that was very much uh, cessationist and, and saying, you know, these things do not happen anymore. The other one was a guy named Barton Stone. And if you read about Barton Stone, he was the presiding minister of something called the Cane Ridge Revival. And if you go back and read about this Cane Ridge Revival, Cane Ridge in Kentucky, this is on the frontier at the time, this big tent meeting, and crazy stuff was happening at this tent meeting back then. Whether, whether one believes it or not, uh, it, was a, it was a crazy scene. Yeah, barking and rolling and all kinds, all kinds of things. And I'm not saying that, that, that uh, I'm not trying to make a case for everything that happened at Cambridge Revival, but I'm saying one of the founders of this movement um, was the presiding minister over this full-out, full-blown Holy Spirit, you know, falling on people and crazy stuff happening moment. Um, now, of those two leaders, one of them, the one that, that didn't believe that stuff happened, kind of won out. And so all, all the way down to where I'm growing up in a Church of Christ in the 80s and 90s. And, I'm, and I definitely am taught that all these gifts never, never would happen, don't show up anymore. Um, and get that in my, my college classes, uh, Bible classes as well. Um, never knowing that one of the, one of the two kind of leading uh, leaders of that movement was a full-blown charismatic leader. Okay. So, um, two gifts are really predominant in our passage this morning. Speaking in tongues, which um, I don't know who all will be here this morning. I, I think you guys are familiar with uh, what it means to speak in tongues. Um, I take it uh, particularly to mean it's usually not, I, I, I used to think it would be some kind of language that was spoken somewhere in the world, like, you know, if, if, if in, in the biblical sense of it, Somebody speaking in tongues and, oh, that's probably Swahili because it must mean something to somebody as if only it could be interpreted. Um, now, I don't necessarily think it has to be uh, something that would be a, a tongue spoken on earth. It could be a heavenly tongue uh, in chapter 13. talks about um, uh, if I speak in the tongue of angels or men, um, but have not love. So, hey, buddy. Um, we've got... Uh, so I think that, that uh, speaking in a tongue could be any sort of language that may be on earth or not on earth. So we don't know. Um, and, and Paul's big point there is not to say 
don't ever speak in tongues. That's crazy stuff. He's like, I speak in tongues more than all of you guys. Um, his point is that the point of being together as a church is for God to strengthen us, to build us up. So go after the gifts that are going to build up the church. And that's where he promotes this idea of prophecy, which we're going to talk about in a minute. So I grew up, and at a young age, I am super skeptical of a lot of things. But, <laughs> I mean, I was skeptical of Jesus. Uh, I was skeptical, I was sure skeptical of um, charismatic expressions of the Spirit, and especially of speaking in tongues. It's like, this one doesn't even make sense. This just seems like people are just after this emotional experience, and um, it doesn't reflect what 1 Corinthians 14 talks about, because nobody's interpreting anything. It's just people just all out just blabbing. And it doesn't, I, I didn't like it. It didn't make any sense to me. Um, I'm strongly skeptical of it. I, I remember in college, some friends starting to kind of get excited about the Holy Spirit and, and, and learning about the Spirit, talking about the Spirit, talking about spiritual gifts. And um, we're in different discussions. And my brother and I are talking once. And he's, he's gotten involved in this more charismatic church. He's like, I think I'm, I'm going to pray for the gift of tongues. And I'm like, don't do that. Please. That's so that's, that's terrible. That whatever's happening at your church is not real. There's not any interpretation. This is just you know, and I just try to talk him out of it. And and like our discussion bubbles up to the point where he, he looks at me and as brothers do, he, uh, he's like, Why do you hate tongues so much? And I was like I was kinda of taken aback, like, I don't hate it, but I thought about it and I thought you know, it's a good question. Why am I so upset about the possibility that such a thing could occur? And I know that I would say, well, because of all the misuse. Like, this is bad. Like, this is just crazy stuff. It doesn't look good. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't go along with the Bible. But why was I so adamant that such a thing was bad and everything about it was bad? Um, it, it made me think a little bit. And then I had a couple of really good friends uh, uh, not at the same time, but at different times, kind of approached me, kind of in secret, and like, oh. So I, I started praying that God would give me this gift, and now I, I, started, I started praying sometimes in, in this other language. And I was like, oh, gosh. Kind of like, you've gone over to the dark side. Why? Why? And I was faced with this uh, situation where... Um, I trusted what they were saying. I trusted them that they weren't lying to me. But I was also like, either they're deceiving themselves or have been deceived, or else they're experiencing something that just goes against everything I believe about this. And I've got to deal with it. So um, eventually I got uh, to this place where Julie and I were hanging out with some more charismatic folks. And we, uh, I, I was um, on a prayer retreat uh, one day by myself and I was I was like God this is all really frustrating this whole tongue speaking thing I'm, I'm just really tired of it and I don't um, I don't understand it I don't feel comfortable with it I don't see why it's even why is it useful in your kingdom like all the other gifts even the, the, the cool miraculous gifts prophecy miracles healing I mean that could be really useful what does tongues have to do with anything I was like, you know, my friends, uh, these other folks seem like there's a benefit to it when it comes to praying um, and that it's meaningful to them. So I'm just going to ask you for it. And I, and I asked that you would, you would give it to me. And um, 
sure enough, uh, I was praying, and um, there's a moment where I felt kind of a, a need to um, release a little bit of my, my control over my prayer, and I started to pray in this other language, and I just kept talking in it. And I thought, I better keep doing this or it's just going to stop. And so I just kept talking and talking. And then, and then I was telling myself in my mind, oh, you're just faking this. This is not real. Once you stop, then you'll just forget about it and it'll go away. So I stopped and I was like, well, that was weird. That, that was that. And then I said, well, let me try it again. And the same kind of words and came, thing came out. And for the last six or seven years, um, very much on a private sense, whenever there's been times where... Words just did not suffice for prayer, and I didn't know what else to say. I would, I would pray, and I would let this very similar language come out. Now, I haven't gone around and shared that. I mean, that's, that's all new information for you guys. Um, but, and I don't promote that. Um, but it's been, it's been helpful for me in terms of uh, there, is a, there is a heart connection uh, in prayer when I, when I pray that way. Um, and it, when I don't know what to pray, I, I still am able to connect with God in, in that way. And I found it very valuable. Um, so I put you in the uncomfortable spot that my friends put me in to say, well, he's either uh, deceived or, or maybe there's something to what he's saying. And all, all that storytelling, just to say, um, I feel like God, there, again, if God's got this toolkit of stuff and he's wanting to accomplish some things, and if, if instead of kind of prejudging what he's going to do or what he can't do or what he will do, if we're just kind of saying, God, I'm, I'm interested in whatever you got. Uh, I want to be about what you, you're doing in the world um, and, and come open-handed, we might be surprised by what he could do. Um, now, when it comes to prophecy, uh, first of all, prophecy is a big topic. And uh, we can't we can just scratch the surface of it like Beth's uh, communion thought about uh, Ezekiel just really at first of all, just really touched me. I don't know why, but I was just like um, uh, I just I was like tears came to my eyes. I was just really powerful. So um, thank you for that. And so much of the Old Testament prophets are just so crazy stuff, weird stuff um, that happens. But um, Clearly, God is speaking through people, trying to get people's attention, trying in every conceivable way to try to get his message to them, uh, to warn them, to encourage them, to comfort them. Now, whenever Paul talks about prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, he uses three words about kind of what it, what it feels like. In the NIV, it says, um, uh, everyone who prophesies speaks for people's strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Now, that sounds pretty good. It's overwhelmingly a positive sort of a gift where if God is going to use someone to prophesy, whatever that would mean, um, then it's going to result in strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And so I reached out to some of my uh, friends that uh, are, are practicing uh, more uh, prophetic sorts of gifts this week and said, what does it mean to you uh, to practice this gift? And, and one friend, she said... Um, that when she practices it, usually what happens is she'll be in prayer and she's thinking about um, a, a person or situation and that she'll find that God um, will, in some way, she, she says it's like God's voice, but not audible voice. It's that she feels a message, she hears a message, she hears some words or a picture or something 
and it either does or does not have this impulse with it that I should share it with per, with the, uh, a person. And so often she says that she'll she'll feel like she has a message, and she will then, if she feels like God has given her this impulse to share it, she'll go and share it. Now she doesn't come up to them and say, "The Lord has this to say to you." She says, um, "I really feel this," and then she will share it with them, whether it was a picture or a, um, a, a message. She says often it's something that is about identity and that um, someone is wrestling with something that's untrue about themselves and that she'll speak something that she believes God wants them to know that's true about themselves that does battle against the lie that they're believing. And so she says she'll say that to them and then she'll say, so what does that mean to you? And uh, they will, most of the time, it is deeply impactful for the person that she shares it with. And not because of uh, my friend that's sharing it or the way that she says it, but simply because it strikes the person that God sees me and that God knows me and knows what I'm going through and that I'm not alone in this. God cares enough that he sent this other person to speak into my life some encouragement, and that's deeply impactful. And, and so usually people are, you know, in tears or just very excited about hearing something like that. She says that sometimes, though, whenever uh, she shares, she'll say, well, what does that mean to you? And the person's like, nothing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't get that at all. And she's like, in those moments, um, I have to not take myself too seriously. Uh, I have to be humble about the fact that um, I am imperfect. My ability to hear from God and put that into practice is very imperfect. And so, you know, it kind of most of the time turns into something kind of humorous. And I just say, well, that, you know, sorry, that was, you know, I, I, I thought maybe there was something there for you. And we kind of laugh about it. And it's still kind of encouraging, even though it was really uh, not something that connected with them at that moment. Now, that that imperfect use of prophecy is one of the reasons why I and some other people didn't believe in it in the past, that God would do such a thing. Because if God's going to do something, quote-unquote, miraculous, then it's going to be perfect every time, right? Because if God's involved, how could it be messed up? Like, how could it be a, a mess? Now, we don't hold... Now, I think, I think Charles, you have the gift of teaching. Um, but I don't hold you to a standard when you teach that you're going to say everything just perfect every time that you say it. You know, that's not true. You know, I mean, I think you do like 99%, but there's 1% of the time I'm like, a few people might have missed that. And, um, thank you. So, the point is, I don't think we hold, like we may claim some of the other gifts, but not hold people to perfection in the use of that gifts in, in, in one side of this equation. But if it's on the other side, uh, and they're claiming that this gift is at work. If it's not 100%, then we're like, oh, God wasn't there at all. You know, God doesn't do that anymore. That's, that was one way I've, I've looked at the situation. I don't anymore. I think we're all, like, God works through human agents, and human agents are imperfect. And so whether we're talking about prophecy or we're talking about teaching or serving or whatever, um, it's not going to be 100%, you know, awesome every time. And so that's something that's important. Um, I feel like also that this is not just something about us being together in, in this room once a week. This is something where God wants to equip us to give us gifts to use as we're out together in missional community, in life, um, with our neighbors. And so I, I'm going to ask uh, for my wife's help. I wanted to ask her some questions about that, what that looks like. So if you wouldn't mind coming up.
just like the other person that you interviewed that you know prophecy is really hearing from God and getting a message from God and I think it can be personal but also for encouragement and for building people up I really believe that communication with God is a two way street and um, maybe not like Paul and I sitting on the couch talking maybe but I think we have to be open to other ways that God will communicate to us um, and, you know, I, I don't want to limit, this is not an exhaustive list, but here's just a few examples of how prophecy has kind of played out in my life day to day. But um, one example is it may be like an encouraging word or you might feel just super strongly about telling this to someone. Um, for example, once I was in a room at a church with a bunch of people And I just looked across the room and I saw really an acquaintance, maybe just a little bit better than an acquaintance. And I just had this like super strong sense that I needed to go to that person and hug them like tightly and tell them, I love you and God loves you. Like it was, you know, and I'm, I'm. I'm not a super affectionate person with acquaintances normally. So this is not something like that. I feel like it's just my normal personality. So um, I did. And, um, and I, you know, um, later I found out that that was indeed a much needed thing, even though I had had no idea what was going on in her personal life at the time. Um, so, yeah, so like an... Uh, an encouraging word or feeling really strongly about that. Another way that it, it may um, uh, happen is um, it may look like if you're praying or worshiping and this, like a picture will come to your mind or an image or sometimes it's almost like you're seeing a trailer from a movie, honestly, just come into your mind. Um, so once Paul and I were praying for the staff uh at another church and um, we were praying like at our house and praying for each of the staff members and for this one minister um, like I just got this real strong picture of him just like really worrying like just overcome with worry and like he wasn't necessarily a super anxious person you know always had a smile on his face but when I prayed for him I saw this, like he had this problem that he was mulling over and over and couldn't, couldn't get past it. And so later, um, when Paul and I were talking with him, you know, I just said, hey, um, I, we were praying for you and this is kind of what, um, what I saw, you know. And um, just described it to him and there had been, you know, a real issue that he hadn't talked to many people about that... Um, and that wasn't about me. That was, I feel like, God saying, you know, to him, 
I care about you. And this thing that, that you've got going on that you're holding on to, I see it. And I know you. And so that was his chance to kind of be able to um, talk to people about it and ask for prayers about it. So he didn't have to have that on his own. Um, another another way that this might look is I think it's kind of just uh, sometimes if I'm praying for someone or if I'm out and about, like I'll just have this intuition about something um, with no explanation as to why I have it. But it's like I just know something um, that I wouldn't otherwise know unless it was the Holy Spirit, I believe. Um, I was at a, a work conference, and there was about 200 people in a room. And um, I just looked across the room and was thinking, I wonder if I know anybody in here. And I didn't, but I looked across, and I saw this woman. I was like, oh, she kind of looks like this old coworker I used to have. And it wasn't her, but um, I just thought about that old coworker and how um, she'd gone through a divorce. So I, like, said a short prayer for her. Then I looked back at that same woman And it just, like, struck me, that woman is going through a really messy divorce right now. Like, I just know it. And I thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. Like, she's across the room. Like, I'm not going to say anything to her about that. So um, I I may have just said a short prayer for her. And um, so we break for lunch, and I go, and I'm eating lunch at a table by myself. And um, somebody that I know walks up and Sure enough, the person that, pers- that person that I know has with her is that woman from across the room. And she introduces herself and sits down, and we eat lunch together, like total strangers. Um, but come to find out, she was going through a really messy divorce. And I, I did not say to her, hey, I already knew that. You know, <laughs> no. That, but what... I think the purpose of that was, is God was preparing me to know how to treat this woman. And I knew when she walked up, I knew I needed to be a listening ear. I was not shocked or surprised by anything that she said. And I knew that she needed special care. And so our conversation was full of that. Um, so that those are just... Um, those are a few ways that place may play out. Okay, just one more question. For you. Okay. Um, if if somebody you know uh, is interested in these gifts from God as we're describing, you know, what do you think about prophecy as a gift and how you want to pursue that? Um, I pray that everyone can have it. Um, I believe that you know God will give this gift if if you seek it out and. I would say it'll look different for everybody. Um, but I, I really should say that I feel like God was wanting to give me this gift for a really long time, and I did not want it. I did not want it. Um, I was really scared. Um, I was afraid of getting things wrong and being, I'm a perfectionist, and I, I didn't want to get anything wrong. I was afraid of God's power. I was afraid of the Holy Spirit. I was afraid of what I thought he might ask me to do or say to someone. I was afraid of being a weirdo, which I already kind of am awkward and weird, so it just, you know. But um, once I was on a spiritual retreat with some women um, during this time, and 
really late, late at night. Like, I just woke up, and I just felt like this strong sense that I needed to read this certain section of scripture. And it wasn't anything crazy, but I lay there terrified, like completely terrified, just so afraid of what is this? Like, what, you know, like, is this time? What's going on? And I would say that um, kind of that I really struggled with that fear um, for a long time, probably for about a year or so. But um, I had some really dear friends who prayed with me and encouraged me not to give in to that fear and um, reminded me that God is really gentle. And, um, you know, there's, there's a prophet in the Old Testament, Elijah, and God said, go out, I'm going to pass by you. And a lot of you know this story, but um, so he goes out, he's waiting for God, you know, and this earthquake comes by, and he's like, God's not in the earthquake. And then, you know, this horrible wind that destroys everything comes by, and he's not in that. And then this fire comes by, and, I mean, it's all powerful stuff. But God is not in the fire either. But when he did pass by, he was just in this gentle whisper. And I think we often believe the lie that um, makes us think that being close to God is going to be like being in an earthquake or a fire. He's just going to burn us up. He's so powerful. Or this horrible wind that may destroy things in our life or whatever. But... You know, I've learned that that is not true, that he comes in a gentle, loving whisper. But I really do believe that fear keeps us from asking for the gifts that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Yes. So when we talk about prophecy, mm-hmm. are we talking... Tell me what how you would define prophecy before I say things that it's not. Yeah. Like in my mind, I'm always like, that was like really telling me what to do that happened to them, or like a vision that I had about them, or like <coughs> like what exactly does that look like? And that's probably not a concrete answer, but yeah. I think I think there is a really broad picture of what prophecy is, and um, the one thing that I would I would w- not want to water it down to say any encouragement. Any um, any sense of, of calling out you know problems in the church or society or any just like any any teaching it's all prophecy. I don't think it all falls under that. But I, I, what I would say is that there's a sense in which God is wanting to get across something, a message to somebody else, and there's lots of ways that that could look. Um, and that's where I mean even the way that the Apostle Paul describes some of these things are. Um, you know whether you call it prophecy or you know was that it when Julie you had this impression that this lady was going through a divorce was that a word of knowledge was it a revelation there's different words for it but I think it's all I mean if we just put it under an umbrella of God is going to get across information that he wants to us to have that's useful I think that is prophetic and I do think there's a sense in which it needs to be used like a, a prophet is someone that is going to uh, be a, a, a mouthpiece or someone that that is channeling this information from God, um, but I, I do think it has to be discerned. So, like, just because you you see something when you're praying about somebody doesn't mean that you rush up and you talk to them about it. So, 
don't know if that helps, but yeah. Yes, Charles. Um, I'll be honest and say I kind of chafe a little bit at the miraculous, non-miraculous distinction, that binary. Uh, maybe like for like non-cessationist reasons, you know, because like, I think, I mean, I wonder, like to what extent is this distinction a vestige of the disenchanted world we live in where, you know, we've decided there's really no spiritual things happen uh, and it's a closed frame, like our prayers don't go beyond the ceiling and so there are miraculous things and non-miraculous things. Yeah. And the second thing that causes me to shake is I've experienced God in the grace of the Spirit in so many of those non-miraculous mm-hmm. kind of gifts that, you know, I'm like, well, don't leave those guys out because, like, it felt kind of miraculous when yeah. I was I was in this encouraging kind of... Like, to what extent is it helpful to perpetuate this distinction or to subvert mm-hmm. it? I think, yeah, my purpose in even putting this distinction up there was hope, was to subvert it and to say... Um, I don't think we should make any distinction between the gifts of God. If God gives you a gift and it's teaching, he's either involved in that or not. Like, is it, it, are you just good at teaching just because you're talented? I think the idea that it's a gift means that God has equipped somebody and there's no reason to call it miraculous or non-miraculous. It's just God's involvement. And so I completely agree um, that, that, that the ability to... The ability to give generously. I mean, anything that we think of as kind of, uh, well, that's kind of bland or whatever. I mean, it is spirit-infused power to change uh, somebody's life in such a way that I'm going to offer mercy um, instead of uh, judgment uh, over people's life. And so, you know, I'm complete amen to the idea that throw out any distinction and just say, please pour it on us, God. It's all you. It's all important. And I just want, I want to be useful. Um, so thank you for highlighting that because I don't know that I made that clear. Uh, any any other questions or comments? Yeah. I, and there's something else. Is that, you know, I think that your gifts can also change um, throughout your lifetime. I think that just because maybe you have the gift of hospitality or one of the other ones up there doesn't mean that at some point you don't embrace one of those other gifts. Um, I, I think it'd be very easy to say, well, I have this gift, and so all the rest of them identify me. You know, this is my gift, this is my gift, I get none of the rest of them. Because I think that as you grow and develop, I think that we could, we could walk into a number of those gifts at different times of our lives. Yeah. So I think I grew up just thinking that maybe I probably have one gift and that was all I had. Yeah. And that's what I can do. And these other ones just don't apply to me. But I don't think that's true. I think that we might at this time of our life have this gift and, you know, as as we grow and as we develop and maybe as God puts other things inside of us, we mm-hmm. know that maybe our gift changes and maybe we have... We might have that gift and we have another one, or mm-hmm. by the time, you know, we're through with our life, we could say we have a whole list of gifts that God has given us. Mm-hmm. And it's me embracing it, walking into that, um, and seeing, seeing what happens. Mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes it's very easy for us to say, I don't have that gift, so that doesn't apply to me. Right. But we walk into that gift, and we listen to the Spirit. Um, maybe we might have the gift of prophecy like Julie mm-hmm. that, that she has, but 
that scares me so I'm not going to embrace that gift. Or if I would maybe walk into that gift, maybe I have that gift. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. And part of what we didn't have time, I'm not going to get to, is all these things that I feel like Paul is saying in that chapter. <laughs> One of which is like eagerly, I mean, what does it mean to eagerly desire this gift? It basically means uh, some of you are not practicing or, or don't experience this yet, but you can desire it and you can ask for it. And God wants to give out the gifts. God's not stingy with gifts. So I, I completely agree. They can change or they can be, you can grow into it. Um, one more comment, and then we're going to move on to our prayer time. Love one another. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, that's the new commandment. That's, that it, it means a pinnacle thing of operating under a marching order. And to do it, and then under that or with that, to look by Christ. So after Katrina, after a hurricane, after Harvey, then all of a sudden, boom, here are all these possibilities to do what? To serve, to give, to show mercy. So, so we don't go, well, I don't have to give a giving, so I, 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 I'm not, you know, I'm not to give. I'm to show mercy. I'm to serve, right? Even though people are showing up on our doorstep. No, we love one another. We build the body of Christ, you know. When, when, when I'm so grateful for mamas that open their houses to let little kiddos come in and play in the backyard and, you know, the pool and stuff like that, and the, the playing play pool, the ping pong. They play hospitality, but when we all went away, do they just quit? Are they now useless? Because they can't pass off to the kiddos? You know? It's bad seasons. Do they move in to, 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 to mentor other women? Do they move in to, to you know, just they, I was hospitality and now I'm nothing? <laughs> yeah, and that's where I think. I think that the, the point of the gifts is more about God wanting to accomplish something. And he's going, to, he's going to give out gifts to help us accomplish these things. Whatever is needed in that situation. Toolkit. Like you said, it's a toolkit. Toolkit. You know what the body, yeah. You know, it's not about, you know, you, Julie has this. It's hers now forever and ever. Amen. And, 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 and if, if she is thrust in a situation where she needs to show mercy... Says, well, that's, no, that's not my, my card. I have mercy, so I have to show mercy. Right. <laughs> mercy. All right. Well, here's the good news this morning. Uh, God is a God um, that raises the dead and that he has uh, a goal to do this with the whole world, with the new creation. And to accomplish that, um, he wants to use us and he invites us to be part of that. And he wants to pour out exactly what's needed on us so that we can accomplish those goals. And he invites us not to be afraid of what he might do, but just to say, Lord, um, I, I want to be um, part of what you're doing, and whatever you want to give me, I'm ready to go. Um, and so that's that's good news, I think, uh, for me, that he, he wants to give us um, all these things. And um, so thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, God, for um, your Spirit's um, power at work in our lives. Um, in, in each situation that you uh, you give us what you need, um, would you open our hearts to whatever you want to do in us and, uh, and to asking you for the gifts and the help that we need to accomplish those tasks. Um, Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.